0: Today I'm talking about something which probably by default you automatically don't think that you need to hear. This has got a lot to do with what Sonny was just saying before about deception. Whenever we say, whenever someone says you're going to talk about wisdom, most of the time most of us think that we're wise, just by default. And even if you don't think that you're wise, you kind of do in a weird sense. I'll explain what I mean. If you have an opinion on something, you hold that opinion because you think that it's true. That's that's what it means. Now, you might not be sure. You might say, what's well, my opinion? I don't really know, but this is what I think is true. That's what an opinion is. None of you today are sitting here saying, this is my opinion, but I know that it's not true. That sentence doesn't make sense. Because if you know it's not true, your opinion is that it's not true, and that's what you think is true. You see what I mean? So, everything you think, you think is true. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, otherwise, you'd be questioning yourself all the time walking around, not knowing what to do, you'd probably never do or say anything. Definitely not anything worthwhile, because you'd always be questioning yourself. So it's good to have convictions, and it's good to have opinions, and it's a natural thing. But really, wisdom is about what happens when you're wrong. What happens when someone comes and tells you that you're wrong, or someone challenges your point of view. So that's what we want to talk about today. We're going to read out of Romans 1, so if you've got your Bible and you want to open it to Romans 1... Romans 1 is a, is a passage or a chapter that we talk about quite a lot in the project. Uh, it was quoted yesterday. It's been quoted many times before. I've quoted it many times before. And I think that there's a good reason for that. Romans 1, particularly 18 to 25, seems to explain precisely what's going on in society right now. If you don't know what it is, we'll put it up on the screen. We'll have a bit of a read of it. But I think, in fact, it's hard for me when I look at Romans 1 to imagine it being better suited to the context when it was written it just seems to be perfect for today let's have a look at it it says for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about god is plain to them because god has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. So, we quoted this verse quite a bit, particularly Sondi's quoted it when he's been talking about idolatry of the heart, because really, that's what this is about. It's about idolatry, stopping to worship the Creator and starting to worship created things. But I want to focus on something else. I want to focus on some of the reasons that people do this. We'll have a bit of a look. Throughout this chapter, there's all of these things which are about knowledge and about choices and about lies and deception. This is really about two sets of wisdom, God's wisdom and human wisdom. I think that there's four lessons that we can learn out of this, this little passage from Romans 1. Firstly, our fallen nature leads to a suppression of truth. Right back in the beginning, it was a lie that caused Adam and Eve to sin. The lie happened first. Satan lied to Eve, and told her that eating the fruit would do things, eating the the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would do things that it wasn't going to do. It was a lie that started it off, and it's been lies that have continued ever since. Unrighteousness suppressed the truth. In fact, unrighteousness itself is a suppression of truth. Where sin abounds, truth is suppressed. Whenever you decide to sin... It's actually a decision to believe a lie. If you decide to unleash anger upon your child in a crazy, unrestrained way, you actually decide to believe that by doing so you will achieve a goal, the goal that you want to achieve. And last week I spoke about the fact that what everyone wants is to be happy. So when you unleash anger upon your child in an unrestrained way... Uh, you think that it's going to achieve a goal. You think that it's going to make you happy because hopefully it's going to get the kid to be quiet or to stop doing whatever it is that they're doing and that's going to make you happy. See, you've actually believed a lie before you've done the sin. Does that make sense? The first sin was believing a lie and all sin afterwards is likewise. Secondly, the truth that we're trading is God's truth. When we start believing lies, we stop believing God. And when we stop believing God's truth, we instantly start believing lies. That's just the way it goes. It's a simple principle. All truth is God's truth. Anything that calls itself truth that is not of God is not true. This is why secular people can still say things that are true. It's possible for all, for people that don't believe in God to still say things that are true. In fact, people call it common sense most of the time. But the weird thing is our society is built on some very biblical principles but people who wish to discredit the Bible and wish to say that the Bible hasn't got anything to do with our society would say it's not a biblical principle it's just common sense. And the people that wrote the Bible just wrote common sense. But the strange thing is you can go to cultures where that's not happening. People aren't doing what the Bible says and it's not common sense there. So obviously the point here is that the truth is derived from God. All things that are true are god's truth thirdly foolish people proclaim their own wisdom claiming to be wise they became fools it says this should serve as a little bit of a warning to us not to proclaim our own wisdom all truth is god's truth and true wisdom comes from god so if and when we do or say something wise we need to acknowledge that that's not from ourself that's from god And God has enabled us to work in his wisdom. And lastly, and most importantly, for the sake of what we're going to be talking about this morning, human wisdom is futile. The best wisdom that can come out of humans is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. This is demonstrated really well in 1 Corinthians 18 to 27. You can read along with me or turn to it in your Bible. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified There's a quote that Pete has said sometimes at school uh, when talking about uh, atheists and scientists and stuff. And I, I totally agree with it. It's a weird thing. Why is it that the world's smartest people also appear to be the world's dumbest people? How can Richard Dawkins, who's one of the smartest people in the world right now, get to a point where he openly admits that maybe we got started by aliens? Maybe an alien had some sort of, laid some sort of egg or created human society. That's something that Richard Dawkins has said. Because the smartest people in the world often believe that we came out of nowhere. This is one of these ways that human foolishness or human wisdom is real foolishness. It doesn't make sense. It's really important, though, that we realise that this is about us. It's important that there is a bit of an introspective moment an introspective view for you guys sitting here and for me when when i'm thinking about it as well you need to focus on yourself and let this speak to you there's another verse that we come back to often here at the project and that's jeremiah 17 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it i feel like i quote this verse a lot to be honest but it's funny how after a while something that is as radically transformational as this. After you think about it for a while, after you start saying it all the time, it kind of loses its impact a little bit. I know it has with me. It's kind of lost its impact. It becomes like something that you just know. But think about it. This says your heart is deceitfully sick. Does God promise to create in us a new heart? Yes, he does. But does this happen overnight? Well, you can ask yourself. Does anybody here have a completely clean heart all of the time? No. no, that's right. Thanks for the feedback. You see, your heart's deceitful. You know, Pete pointed out yesterday and he pointed out again this morning. The biblical, uh, he pointed out the biblical counseling lesson. The very nature of deceit is that you don't know you're deceived. To hear this verse and then assume that just because you know the verse, your heart is no longer deceitful... ...is the deception. Yeah? Really, at best, this verse serves as a warning... ...and it should serve as a warning for you forever. It's an important warning. Just because you think or feel something... ...it doesn't mean that it's true. This is something... ...particularly teenagers need to really grapple with this. You know, teenagers a lot of the time are going through the emotions of relationships... ...and and starting to go out with people and all that sort of stuff... And seriously, they live by the conviction of their heart. They're just like, this is the way I feel, so this is what I'm going to do. And then two weeks later, I feel something completely different, so this is what I'm going to do. But the heart is deceitful. We live in a confusing fog of war that is really difficult to see through. Our current circumstances, like health, our upbringing, our family situation, our level of comfort, our appetite, even down to really little things, like whether or not you've got an itchy back, Oh, you need to go to the toilet. All of these little things actually come in and affect your emotions and they change what you think is truth. We can barely see out of this shroud that is constantly through, uh, around us. We can make out images, but everything that we see or we sense is corrupted to an extent by our circumstances. This is why it's so important, like, like Sandy was saying, to be in biblical community to have other people that are outside of our fog that can see clearly that we're just stumbling around in the dark and they can help us out. This is why it's so important to read the Bible, God's word, God's map. You know, It's like you're sailing through an ocean and there's fog all around you and someone's got a map and someone's worked out where all the reefs are and you're just going, no, I'd work it out, I'd work it out myself. I'll just feel around in the dark, I'll nudge into things slowly and then I'll go back and I'll go and do other things and all the time your ship is getting destroyed underneath. Every time you do that, it's, it's hurting you, it's pain. But the truth is it doesn't have to be like that. We can be bold and we can be confident when we walk in God's light and not in our own. Our hearts are aligned incorrectly. Our hearts have all been deceived And we're too willing to believe the deceptions because the deceptions are self-serving. They're nice lies. They're the sort of things we want to hear. We like to trick ourselves. We need to have our hearts realigned to the heart of the Father. But how do we do it? When we go to the Word. The Bible is the Word of God. It is truth. To become realigned with the truth, we go to the source of the truth. Listen to what Proverbs has to say about wisdom, true wisdom from God. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the market she raises her voice, at the head of the noisy street she cries out, at the entrance of the city gate she speaks, how long O simple ones will you love being simple, how long will will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge, if you turn at my reproof, behold I will pour out my spirit to you, I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refuse to listen have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. When I read this, this just makes sense to me. Pursuing godly wisdom is going to be good for you. Why do we love dwelling in our simplicity and in our foolishness? Most of the time it's because it's easy and it's a little bit of fun. See, we go through life making some really big assumptions. We think we know things. We think we understand things. But where do these ideas come from? Do they come from God's revelation to us? Or do they come from society around us? Our friends, our family, the TV, Ellen DeGeneres, the radio, our favorite author. Even our favorite Christian author, C.S. Lewis. What does this have to do with culture? Well, where do we get our information from is the big question. How do we form our views and our ideas? Like I said at the start, you all have opinions on stuff. You all think that your opinion is true. So where did you get that opinion from? Where has it come from? You know, yesterday we had the first session of the biblical counselling training with, with Pete and it really affirmed to me this principle. You know, the church has for a long time really just decided that secular counseling is the way to go and i never until just recently even thought about the fact that there might be a biblical approach how weird is that how weird is it that i never thought well what does the bible have to say about this stuff i was just really willing to go there's a professional somewhere that's studied and makes a lot of money and knows more than me so i'll let them m- make the decision and i'll just have to agree with them because i i can't disagree because i haven't done the study but the bible is the truth Most of our information comes from culture and culture is unfortunately really rarely shaped by Christians and therefore most information and wisdom that culture teaches us is not the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of man, which is foolish. So really quickly, let's take a bit of time to have a look at some cultural foolishness. It may seem like we beat up on Lady Gaga a bit. That's foolish, isn't it? That's great. I'll go off because it'll be distracting. I'll go back here for a bit. It may seem like we beat up on Lady Gaga a bit, but to be honest, she just kind of hands it to us on a platter, right? She says stuff and she wears stuff that makes it very easy. She gives us interesting material. Now, you might not think that it matters what Lady Gaga says or thinks because you don't listen to her, which is a decent enough assumption. But consider this. She is a culture shaper in a huge way at the moment. She sells millions of albums and tours the world all over. And what she says filters down through society. And though you might not get it directly from listening to her C D, you might get it from your kids that listen to her C D. Or you might get it from watching Sunrise or the Seven PM project, which stole our name and is now just the project. And if you never if you never get it directly, you might get it from your kids, from your friends, from your family, from your neighbours. It spreads. Like wildfire. So this is some of the wisdom that uh, this wise sage is giving people at the moment. You might have heard Pete quote this one. Um, it was from a few years ago. She said, Pop culture is our religion. Through self-worship in terms of your identity and through honoring your identity and really fighting for who you are every single day of your life, down to your core, you can have more faith and more hope in life and in the future. Now, I saw this, for some reason I was doing something and Ellen was on in the background, this was a couple of years ago, and I went straight away and tried to find it on YouTube, because I was like, that's brilliant, I've got to tell somebody about that. But when I saw it, the crowd went mental, they're like, yeah, wee! Lady Gaga, you're amazing, you're so clever, look at that sentence, it doesn't make sense. You can have more faith, more faith in what? You, I mean, do we understand the definition of words? You can't just... I mean, you can have more faith, that's fine, but faith in what is the most important part here? And people didn't ask the question. They just thought, hey, here's a nice person who seems to care about people, so let's clap her and say that it's great. It doesn't make sense. This is an interview uh, that she did with The Guardian. So there's quotes in here, and then there's quotes from the guy who's writing the article as well. She says, I'm half living my life between reality and fantasy at all times. It's best not to ask questions and just enjoy. And then the writer says, What a perfect gaga statement. If you're not wedded to reality or truth, you're entitled to say whatever you fancy. This is weird that she is admitting that she doesn't always tell the truth and yet then she goes on Ellen and everyone claps. She could be lying. (laughs) She might not even think what she's saying. She's just living in fantasy all the time. This, it gets... It gets really interesting here. The guy says, uh, the interviewer, it's like a revivalist meeting. She says, yes, it is. It's a religious experience. This is her Monster Ball show. But it's like a pop cultural church. She pauses. I never intended for the Monster Ball to be a religious experience. It just became one. The writer says, she's become the Billy Graham of pop, I say. She laughs. It's more self-worship, I think. Not of me. I'm teaching people to worship themselves. The writer says, what is going wrong with conventional religion if kids are looking to her for spiritual guidance guidance and she says the influence of institutionalized religion on government is vast so religion then begins to affect social values and that in turn affects self-esteem bullying in school teen suicides and all those things her message she says is simple and perfectly christ-like love yourself and love others i don't remember reading that in the bible I can't remember Christ saying to love yourself. I know he definitely didn't love himself with the things that he did for us. You notice what she's saying there though, like institutionalized religion has affected social values. She obviously doesn't have a problem affecting social values. Once again, she thinks she's right. Even if she says she's living in a fantasy land, she thinks she's right and she's really willing to affect social values. Just not institutionalized religion. for s- Somehow that turns into teen suicide. She says her message is Christ-like, love yourself and love others. Surely we can see that it's not. Have you ever tried to love yourself and everyone else at the same time? (laughs) A very honest kid said yes, that's right. It's really difficult because who takes precedence when you want something different to someone else? Most of the time you do, right? And then you're just loving yourself. You're not loving everyone else. And really, at its core, that is what she's telling people. She's telling people to worship themselves. So even within that little chunk of information that she said, she's contradicted herself. Worship yourself and love everyone else. There's no room to love everyone else when you're worshipping yourself because you're number one. You know, Paul Tripp is one of the guys that that does the biblical counselling stuff and he's got this little example of his own personal self-delusion. He says, I also love chocolate chip cookies. There's always one that I've spotted. It's Paul's cookie. You know, when the tray is coming around, he's like, "Seen? That's the one. That's the one I want." No one else knows that it's my cookie, but I do. It's the one with the most visible chips. Visible chips. Chocolate chip cookies are not created equal. As the tray is going around, I'm worried that somebody is going to grab my cookie. I've even said, "Hey, that's my cookie." The family looks at me. Are you nuts? I'm sitting in traffic, and I think, "Don't they know I have somewhere to go?" What an irrational thought that is. Let's be honest. Some of us have thought that before, yeah? And it doesn't make any sense to think. Of course they don't. I want them to say, oh, Paul's behind us. Let's drive off the road. It's Paul. Cars part. I say thanks. They finally got it. This fundamental me olatry is in all of our lives. This is the foolishness of man. This is the, well, of everyone. (laughs) This is the foolishness. We are so obsessed in our own little worlds that we actually believe things that make no sense. And then sometimes when we accidentally bloat them out, people look at us like we're idiots. But then a lot of the time we get on a Facebook and we write up, and so cut me off in the street, justify my anger please. And everyone goes and likes it and justifies it. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. So what? what do we need to do? We need to realign our hearts away from ourselves which is where culture tells us to align it to. We need to realign it to God's heart. And there's three areas of realignment that are often the areas where our heart has deceived us the most. And they are wisdom, uh, they, they're the areas of wisdom that we need to have realigned. Perspective, motivation and honesty. These are questions that it's really good for you guys to ask yourself. These are questions that I kind of tell students at school to ask themselves when they come and ask me for a bit of advice or something and usually just asking these sort of questions everything else kind of works itself out firstly perspective our perspective is usually often one of two ways or a lot of the time both we're self-focused and we're now focused often wisdom comes when we shrug off our self-idolatry and consider the other people in our situation Do you consider the unknown situations of other people? What they're going through? How do they see the situation? What have we done to them which may give them a reason to be hurt or angered? How willing are you to consider the other person's point of view? But not just consider it, but to admit to yourself that they think it's as true as you think yours is. When you have two people that both have differing points of view, if no one's willing to do this, nothing's ever going to change we're also really focused on the obvious face value situation that is right in front of us. I think one of the most liberating parts of God's wisdom is the understanding that our lives are just vapors. Like the mist, they're here for a moment and then they're gone. This life has a purpose. God wants to sanctify you, to make you holy. And when we approach life situations with the knowledge that this present tribulation is only for a time, instead of becoming obsessed with it and allowing it to rule us, we truly can live with the peace that passes understanding. A serious perspective is a massive thing. Whenever you get stuck in a situation, when you're just obsessing over a situation, having a perspective bigger than now and bigger than yourself almost immediately sets you free from it. If you want to hear a lot about that, read Second Timothy. Paul talks all about, he's talking to Timothy about the fact He's in jail, he's been in jail for a long time, but it doesn't matter because he's run a good race and he knows what's coming. Secondly, we have to check our motivations. This should be a really disarming question, what's your motivation? A lot of the time, this is as far as I need to go with students when they, if they come up and ask me for some advice. A student a while, quite a while ago came up and said, do you think that we should forgive this girl? They, she wants to be friends with us and she's been acting really nasty for the last year. And I said, well, why wouldn't you? She goes, well, she's been acting really nasty for the last year. I said, what's your motivation? And she kind of looked at me and walked away. Because <laughs> she realised she had a dodgy motivation there. Because we act out of our hearts. All the things that we do come from our hearts and we know that our hearts are deceitful. And really, it's really important that, we, um, that we're honest about this. We shouldn't assume that our motivations are good. Anytime you get around, never checking your motivations. Always assuming you've got a good motivation for the things you're doing. You're assuming that you don't have a deceitful heart. And you're very deceived. The other thing that can happen a lot of the times to Christians is that we actually set up a good motivation ready for defense if someone asks us, I was doing it for their own good. You know, It's another way that we deceive ourselves. You know, it's a really defendable position to make sure that we have something set up which we can explain if something goes wrong and someone tries to work out what's going on. Thirdly, we need to be honest. All of this means nothing if we're willing to lie to ourselves and to others. God's wisdom won't penetrate if you want to believe the lies. This is a really good series of questions to ask yourself. How transparent are you? How quick are you to defend yourself? Do you run through pretend conversations to make sure you've got all your positions covered? So you kind of work out what they're going to say, you work out what you're going to say, you've got it all sorted out. And lastly, this is a question that I asked one of my students recently. And, and uh, I said, what do you do? How do you respond when you get corrected? And he said, depends who does it. That's a weird answer. It's a very understandable answer, but it's a weird answer. Yeah? Because if someone is telling the truth, it doesn't matter who it is. It turns out in the end that we don't really care that much about truth. We care about ourselves. If you answer, depends who it is that's correcting me, that's your pride getting in the way and restricting you from hearing the truth from someone. Depends who shouldn't be part of it. You know, one of the things that Pete pointed out yesterday is that we're created to want wisdom. Like I said, it was the deceitful promise. We won't go through that because I'm going to run out of time. It was a deceitful promise. that that got us into trouble in the first place. And Eve wanted wisdom. But the weird thing that I find about this situation is Eve wanted wisdom, but she wanted more than that. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve all the time. If anyone had a claim not to want wisdom to the point of eating off the tree, it was them. You know, They kind of had a direct tap on the ever-flowing font of wisdom. She wanted more than that. She wanted to believe a lie you want to control so really the question is do you really want wisdom when we ask for advice when we go and ask people for help do we really want help now sometimes I experience this at school when a student comes up and asks me for help I give them a bunch of advice and they go yeah yeah okay that's that's hard that's hard advice and I walk away and they do nothing because Most of the time when we go and ask people for advice and for wisdom, we don't really want wisdom. We want someone to rearrange our idols. I think Paul Tripp, is it Paul Tripp that says that? I don't know. A rearrangement of our idols. We don't want someone to come in and smash our idols. We want someone to come and rearrange them so they're functional and so they don't hurt us as much. We want someone to take the pain away. We don't want truth. We want band-aids or painkillers. But sin is rarely a clean cut. Most of the time we need at least to clean our wound out with alcohol or perhaps we need stitches. And in extreme cases we might actually need to re-break our arm or re-dislocate our dislocated arm so that it heals properly. It all hurts, but it is pain that's required. You know, I broke my finger when I was in grade 11 and I didn't realise that I'd done it for a year. And one time I was throwing oranges. I don't know (laughs) what we did... That's just the truth. I was throwing oranges and, um, and it just started really hurting and, and it started to swell up and stuff. I went and got an x ray and I'd had a broken finger for a year and I had it known and it's actually healed now with a big lump over the top. And this is what can happen to us. You know, even just yesterday in the biblical counseling stuff, Pete was talking a bit about redemption groups and things that, you know, he's run here or a form of redemption group. And, um, a lot of the time when something we haven't dealt with back in the past, needs to be dealt with, it actually needs to sort of break again. We actually might need to go through a little bit of pain again, but that's necessary to fix it in the long run. So where do you go to for help? Examine yourself. Where do you go to for help? Do you actually really want it? Do you only talk to people who agree with you? Do you have people in your life that you know sometimes they're not going to agree with you? And do you stay friends with them? Do you have token people that you go to to make yourself feel good, but you actually rarely do whatever they say? You kind of know you've got some problems. You go and talk to them. You talk it out. They give you some advice, and then you leave thinking, oh, that was really good. I feel really good about myself. But you don't ever do anything? Or do you keep going around asking different people for advice until you find some that you like? See, all of these are mechanisms of deceived people that don't want the truth because they don't want any pain They just want a rearrangement of their idols. I want to close on a couple of words from Proverbs. Proverbs is amazing. If you've never read it, I really encourage you to read it. It's not a hard slog. It's easy and it's really, really practical. You know, I think you should read it at least once a year. Just go through and just read the thing. It's so practical. It's The application is easy. Proverbs is all about fools becoming wise. We're all fools and we all need to become wise. So there's the application for you. It's simple. Okay, do what Proverbs says. Let God's wisdom intersect in your life and realign your heart's desires to match him through his wisdom. These are the three verses I want to finish on. Firstly, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That little bit of pain that you might need to feel sometimes when you get the truth, that's God's reproof of god's discipline you know we we break our arm we do something that's going to hurt ourselves we sin there's going to be some pain in fixing that up but if you despise the the truth if you despise the reproof and the discipline and you run it's only going to get worse secondly trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding when we're left to ourselves when we do things that we feel are right we make some terrible decisions and lastly, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's another verse that says, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you put yourself in your right place and God in his right place, if you're not self-obsessed, if you realize how easy it is for you to be wrong, that's the beginning of wisdom. You want to stand with me and I'll pray and then we'll hand over to Sunday again. <clears throat> God, thank you that you are truth. You are truth personified in Jesus and you are the source of all truth. Thank you that uh, in our blindness, in our foolishness, in our confusion, we can come to you and you can show us a clear way forward. I pray for all of us, for myself, for everyone here, that you would work on our deceitful hearts, that we would be able to see through the shroud that surrounds us and that we would pursue you and realign our hearts with you, and that we would really want wisdom, and want truth, and not just want someone to take the pain away, which you do. You do take the pain away, God, but I pray that you help us to see that your ways are the right ways, and that quick fixes don't fix anything. Amen.